Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We have been in a series for the last couple of weeks entitled The Ghost, and we are talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and his role, his function in our lives. Uh, In addition to our weekend content, those of you who are in groups, you know that we've also been going through a resource together in our groups entitled The God I Never Knew, also talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives. And as I've been talking to some of our leaders and other folks from the church, I keep hearing this, this, this same thing over and over and over again. Everyone seems to be saying that this is such a timely conversation in their life, that this is exactly what they needed to hear at exactly this moment. And I love that about God. I was praying this week and I was just thanking the Holy Spirit that he is the one guiding this church. As my wife said a moment ago, it is all about Jesus here, that he knows exactly what we need to hear, when we need to hear it, and he is faithful to lead us in that direction. Uh, I, like to, I like to think that I would attend this church even if I wasn't the guy on this side of the stage. I, I really like the Father's House. I think it's a good crew. Uh, the worship is pretty incredible. Our kids' ministry is top shelf. The community is amazing, and it's authentic, and it's genuine. People aren't fake around here. Uh, the preaching is tolerable, and if you're willing to tolerate it, you're awarded with a donut hole and some coffee after service. And I, I, I think that everything around here is great, but, but let's be clear. This church is not built on any of those things. This church is not built on strategy or talent or or some kind of group of people that are in a back room going, okay, here's what we're gonna do next and God will go, none of that. Everything that we are seeing and everything that we are experiencing right now is the byproduct of the leading of the Holy Spirit. He is faithful to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I'm grateful to be a part of a community that is being led by God and everything feels timely, not because of a strategy, but because he is speaking to his people. So, uh, so today we're going to continue on in that conversation. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, I'll catch you up to speed as best I can. Our, our main scripture, uh, our, our key thought here is found in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. And these are the words of Jesus as he begins to speak to his disciples prior to leaving planet Earth. And he's consoling them because he's told them that he has to leave. But as he leaves, he's going to send the Holy Spirit who will now walk with them from that day forward. Uh, he says in, in John 14, 16, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Um, At the beginning of this series, we determined that that word helper there in the Greek is the word parakletos, and it means the one that walks alongside of us. Jesus tells his disciples in the same way that I have walked with you for these last three years and I've given you direction and guidance and safety. I'm gonna send the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to walk with you and do as I have done. He will be in you and he will be with you. And that promise was not just made to 12 guys a couple thousand years ago. That promise is made to everybody who was called upon the name of Jesus. If you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you've believed in your heart that he actually was resurrected on the third day, then the Bible Bible says that you have been indwelt with the Spirit. You got a ghost on the inside of you, but it's a good one. Don't worry about it. I know we're getting close to Halloween, but no, you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. And for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the reason that ghost lives on the inside of you. Uh, In week two, we talked about the fact that he is in us so that he can lead us. 
We are the followers. He is the leader. We don't drag him along with our plans. We submit to him. We keep in step with the spirit. And then last week, we talked about the fact that he is leading us into all truth. He is the spirit of truth that leads us into all truth. And as we find ourselves in a culture that has rejected the idea of absolute truth or objective truth, we have the truth living on the inside of us to guide us and know the difference between the lies of our culture and the truth of what his word says. Uh, If you missed any of those, you can go back and check them out. But today, we're gonna talk about another area where the Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit leads us, another reason he is on the inside of us, and that is for the purpose of conviction. (laughs) <laughs> not generally one that, you know, solicits a bunch of like, woo, conviction. Yes, he is the spirit of conviction on the inside of us. And today I want to talk about how the Holy Ghost convicts us. Um, if you're a note taker, I'm going to offer you a title before we get into today's text. Uh, I want to call this chat Unconfusing Conviction Part 1. Unconfusing Conviction Part 1. One. Uh, part one, because as I studied this week, there was far too much content to shoehorn into one sermon. So you're welcome. You're going to get a slightly abbreviated version of a sermon today, and we will conclude it next week. Today, I want to talk about the nature of conviction, what it is and what it's not. And then next week, uh, as timely as it might be, as it falls on the date of Halloween, I want to talk about personal convictions versus universal convictions, things that you might be convicted about but they are extra biblical. It's something the Holy Spirit has spoken to you versus something that all of us should be convicted of. So it's gonna be a good conversation. I'm really excited about the next couple of weeks. But today, we're gonna talk about the nature of conviction. What is it and what isn't it? So let's pray as we get in and then we'll go to our main text. Uh, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. I thank you for uh, your faithful voice that speaks every time we gather in the name of Jesus. Here we are, we've, we've braved the rain and the wind and we've come to the house of God and we did not do so so that we could sing some songs and listen to somebody talk. We came here because we believe that being in your presence, being among your gathered saints has the capacity to change us. And so I pray for transformation today. Our hearts are open, our minds are open. Speak to us before we leave this place. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Men, amen. Our main text is in John chapter 16, verse 8. This is a continuation of Jesus' conversation with his disciples as he's introducing the person of the Holy Spirit. And he says this When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. When he comes, he will convict. And Jesus makes a very specific statement about how he will convict. He says the Spirit will convict the world of their sin, of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. Now, I don't want to go too deep into that, but to, to, to give you kind of a, a very bullet-pointed version, what, what Jesus is saying here is that the Holy Spirit's job is to convince people of the truth of the gospel. What he's saying is when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict people of their sin, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard of holiness. I hate to break it to you, but if you got breath in your lungs, you are a sinner today. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standard of holiness. None is righteous, no, not one. And 
There is a day where we will all give an account for our lives. Those who know Christ and those who don't, we will stand before Jesus and we will give an account for every detail of this life that we lived on planet earth. But that reality provoked God to do something about the judgment for sin, the rightful judgment for sin. He sent his righteousness, he sent Jesus to planet earth so that he could live a life that none of us could live. He could live the righteous life. He is God's righteousness. He endured every temptation that we will face. He didn't fall into any of them. And a sinless lamb of God was executed on a cross and resurrected three days later so that we could have eternal life with him. That is the simplicity, the truth of the gospel. And many of us in this room have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of that truth. Many of us here came to a moment in our existence here on planet Earth where Jesus were, was no longer just a crutch for weak people or a fictional character in history or a good man that lived a long time ago, but he was in fact the savior of the world. We came face to face with the reality that we needed a savior. And so we bowed our knee and we confessed with our mouth that he is Lord. We believe that he was born of a virgin, that he lived on planet Earth. He died on my behalf and he resurrected so that I could have new life. We've experienced that conviction, and that conviction led us to salvation. That's what Jesus is speaking of here. But, but that conviction did not end at salvation. The reason conviction did not end the moment you gave your life to Jesus is because, newsflash, you can still sin. <laughs> I know, shocking. Some of us are quite proficient at it. We still know how to sin. <laughs> Yeah, you, you might be righteous, but you also a little ratchet sometimes. You might be holy, but you're also a little hood. You might be saved, but you can be a little salty. Shall I go on? No, we, we all still have the capacity to sin. How many know that your sin is still working, okay? That, that, that motor in your life, don't, don't, come on, don't lie to Jesus. You better put your hand in the air. All of us, yeah, we still know how to sin. And because of that, we still need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's a, a, a belief system out there. There's some denominations and some theological persuasions that have suggested recently in these days that we don't need conviction any longer because there's no longer a need for the Christian to repent. Maybe you've heard this before. There, there's some people out there that suggest, well, when Jesus died for our sins, um, he, he died for our past, our present, and our future sins. And as a result of that, we don't need to say sorry for our sin any longer. We don't need to repent. Jesus has already taken care of that. So we can kind of just live this life. And if we sin, no big deal. We're gonna end up in heaven one day anyway. That is sloppy grace and that is false doctrine. That is not what the Bible teaches. First John says it clear, verse, uh, chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. James five, if we confess our sins one to another, he will bring healing, he will bring restoration to our lives. We still have to repent. There is still a need for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus has predetermined to forgive you for your sins, but that forgiveness is found when we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge our shortcoming and we say, Jesus, just as I needed a savior at the beginning, I need a savior today. I am still in need of Jesus. We all still deal with conviction. But, but I've noticed something, and maybe you've noticed this in your own life as well. That is that sometimes conviction can be confusing. What I mean by that is sometimes I can mistake things like guilt or shame or regret 
And I can begin to assume that those feelings are the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I, I misappropriate those feelings. And because I am confused about what I'm feeling, I'm confused about how I am to respond. And I don't think that I'm alone in this. I think that many Christians find themselves with conviction confusion. I think we still deal with guilt and shame. I think, in fact, that it is probably one of the greatest strategies of the enemy against the believer. I love what Jennifer said earlier. She, she mentioned in a sermon that she heard that, the, that uh, the devil in scripture is called the author of confusion. I think one of the greatest weapons he uses is the confusion of conviction. Why? Because if he can get you to confuse the spirit's character, he can deteriorate the spirit's nature. He can get you to see the spirit incorrectly. And when you see him incorrectly, you will respond incorrectly. Thus the nature and hopefully the motive of this conversation to unconfuse conviction. Now, now I, don't, I don't know about you, but when I find myself confused about something, it is helpful for me to see a concept played out in story form so that I can understand it a little bit better. Apparently I'm a toddler. But when I see a concept played out in a story or in an analogy, it can bring clarity to a concept that I am confused about. It's like that, that one episode from The Office, for those who are office watchers here, where Oscar is trying to explain surplus to Michael. And Michael's like, I'm not quite getting it. And he's like, explain it to me like I'm five years old. And he says, okay. Your mommy and your daddy, they give you some money to start a lemonade stand and they give you $10 and you go to the store and you get some lemons and you get some sugar and you get some cups and at the end you find out it only costs you $9. So I have an extra dollar. Yes, you have an extra dollar. That dollar is surplus. Okay, I think I'm getting it. So <laughs> go back and watch that episode if you'd like. So for me and all of the other spiritual Michaels in the room that need stories to uh, help us understand a concept, I offer to you today a story in scripture that will hopefully help us unconfuse conviction. And fortunately for us, we don't have to go too far from our key text here because the story we're going to look at is actually found just after the conversation as Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Uh, here's the setting. He's just concluded the Last Supper with his boys and he's shared with them that the Spirit of God is gonna come and walk with them and live within them. And as he leaves and makes his way to the Mount of Olives where he will be handed over to the Roman guard and ultimately crucified, uh, he begins to share with his disciples about his coming execution. And he has a rather interesting prophetic word for one of his guys, Peter. As Jesus shares that he is going to be crucified, Peter looks at Jesus and in this amazing pledge of allegiance, he says, I will die with you. You will not die alone. I'm ready, to die. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. And Jesus looks back at Peter and he's like, <laughs> die, huh? Here's the deal, Pete. Tonight, uh, you're gonna deny three times that you even know me before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. And Peter says, I would never. And then a few hours later, the prophecy comes true and Peter denies Christ. And, and that's where we're gonna pick up this story uh, in the book of Luke chapter 22. It says, so they arrested him, Jesus, and they led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and they sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A young servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, uh, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. I don't even know him. And after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. 
About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was, you gotta have fun with the Bible when you're reading it sometimes, right? Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Now, I remember as a young believer reading that scripture. And, you know, when I first started reading the Bible, I was one of those guys that was really ambitious and underlined everything and highlighted everything and wrote notes in the margin. And I'm still that guy today. But uh, I remember reading this story and underlining a couple of aspects of this story and writing a few notes in the margin of my Bible. The first section I underlined was where Peter is said to deny Christ in front of a little servant girl. And I wrote in the margin of my Bible, what a punk. <laughs> it's a little girl. Like, come on, man. You can at least stand up for, I thought you, I will die for you. Unless a little girl questions me. Like, hashtag find better followers. But the second thing that I underlined in that scripture was the line where Luke tells us that at the moment of denial, that the Lord looked at Peter. That's why it's underlined in the scripture you just saw a moment ago on the screen. That the Lord looked at Peter in the moment of his denial. And in the margin of my Bible, I wrote this question. I wonder what the look on Jesus's face was. I wonder what look Jesus gave Peter in the midst of arguably one of the worst sins in human history, denial of Christ. Now at the time, I was simply curious. But over time, I've realized how deeply formative that question is. Because the way that I and the way that you answer that question reveals a lot about our understanding of conviction. If we don't see that look correctly, then we will respond incorrectly. What was the look on Jesus's face? How does he respond to sin? I think that is probably the origin of conviction confusion. We see the wrong look and so we respond incorrectly. Uh, allow me to illustrate with another story. So uh, I told you a couple of weeks ago that uh, my wife and I live down the street from where our daughters go to school. And I have the privilege of walking our kids to school every single day. Uh, and uh, recently, my uh, soon-to-be 11-year-old and my now 9-year-old have uh, argued that they deserve a little bit more independence. They feel that they should be able to walk to school by themselves. And it's only about three quarters of a block and perhaps a normal parent would let their child walk three quarters of a block. Uh, we're kind of the helicopter parents that are very protective. And so I refuse to allow them to walk to school by themselves. So we've come up with a little bit of a compromise. Um, my, my daughters have assigned me a portion of our block where I stop after I walk them about halfway. And then I watch them walk into the distance onto their school, but I can still see them as they walk to school. Uh, and so every morning we have this, this practice. It is our rhythm. I, I walk my daughters to the bush in our neighbor's yard that they have assigned me to. And I pray for them before they go to school. Parents, little tip, pray for your kids before they go to school. Very simple prayer. Lord, I pray right now that you would help them to be leaders in their environment, that they would be light in the midst of darkness, that they would be the influencers and not the influenced. And because I have daughters, I pray, Lord, keep them from stupid friends, specifically stupid boys, in Jesus' name, amen. It's a good prayer. Then I kiss them and I, I send them off and I watch them walk off to their school. Well, a couple of weeks ago, as I was walking them to my bush, 
there was a man standing there and he was smoking a cigarette. And so after I prayed for my kids and I sent them away uh, in an effort to not offend the guy, I, I kind of quietly scooted over to the other side of the street so that I could avoid the, the secondhand smoke. And I watched our kids walk the rest of the way to school. Um, but after I turned around, I noticed this man get back into his car and just about the time he was gonna take off, he rolled down his window and he started throwing trash from his car into my street. And so, do you feel, do you feel that? How could you? Yeah, only in San Francisco do people act like that, you environmentalists. So he's, I'm standing off to the side as I'm watching him throw this trash into the street and I just kind of fold my arms and I scowl at the guy hoping he sees me and realizes the error of his ways and goes and picks up his trash, but he does not see me. And so as he begins to take off, Without thinking, the first thought that came to my mind, I, I, I ran over and I picked up all of his trash off the ground and I threw it into the window of his car as he was driving off. <laughs> and I said, you dropped something, bro. He kind of looked shocked and looked at me like, what's happening right now? And then like a jerk, I did this. I'm like... And he looks down, puts the car in drive and speeds off. And I walk away like I just defeated the greatest gangster in all of our neighborhood. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I protected the environment. What you know about me, dog? You don't know? Man, it feels good to be a gangster, you know? <laughs> so I go, I go home and I tell my wife, and she's like, what's the matter with you? Uh, but uh, I didn't think much of it. Well, the next day, I'm walking my kids to school and as I approach the bush, I notice that my friend is smoking a cigarette at the bush again. And suddenly I have a revelation. I'm like, this guy is dropping his kids off at school as well. And I am going to see him every single day for the rest of the school year. So now I feel like a jerk. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I'm sorry. Okay, so I don't want the guy to be intimidated every time he sees me. I mean, no, I'm an intimidating guy. But, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever. So... Don't laugh at that. So, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to drop off my kids. I'll send them to school. And then I'm going to turn around and I'll make eye contact with the guy and I'll smile and I'll wave and I'll let him know, hey, no hard feelings. All is good. No bad blood. It's going to be fine. So unfortunately, as I approach, he sees me as well and catches a similar revelation. And then he runs, puts his little cigarette butt out, picks it up off the ground. <laughs> And runs into his car and rolls up the window. And I'm like, ah, oh, stinks. So as I drop off my kids, I turn around, hoping I'm going to catch him in his, in his car. But no, he looks down and he drives off in his aptly named Ford Escape. <laughs> now, I don't know what to do at this point. Because I'm like, I'm not going to go up to the guy's window and be like, hey, we can be friends. He might have mace. He might have a taser. I don't know. And so... I'm waiting for a moment to catch eyes with the guy. Now, that was three weeks ago. And this has happened every single day for the last three weeks. As soon as he sees me, he gets into his car and he takes off. When he sees me, he sees an angry man that called him out on his error, that threatened, I'm going to be watching, don't you ever do that again. And when he sees me, he feels shame, so he gets into his car and he escapes. I think that is how many of us perceive conviction to work. Yeah. 
I think that scenario is what many of us see when we picture this phrase, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We see an angry God that is getting ready to throw our sin back into our face, that, that looks at us and says, I'm watching, don't you ever do that again. And every time we try to get close or he tries to get close to us, we are reminded of something we did weeks ago or months ago, years ago, some living with it from decades ago. There's this sense of shame every time we try to draw near. And, and because we feel shame, we do what my litter bug friend did. At the first thought of drawing near to Jesus or at the first feeling of his trying to come close to us, we get into our Ford and we escape. We bounce, we run. But if I can say as clearly as possible this morning, that is not how conviction works. That is not how God works. Conviction is not a throwing of your sin back into your lap so that you feel shame and that you wanna flee from God. Conviction is actually the exact opposite. The conviction of the Holy Spirit draws us to God, not pushes us away from him. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes complete with the reminder that God is good, that he loves me, that his grace is sufficient for me, that he is not holding my sin against me, but that all the justified anger of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross. It says in Romans chapter, or excuse me, in Hebrews chapter four, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace where we can obtain mercy when we need it most. When do you need mercy most? When you blow it. You don't need mercy if you're like, Reading the Bible, praying, tithing, coming to church in a rainstorm, doing okay. You don't need mercy. You know when you need mercy? When you fall flat on your face and you do the thing that you told Jesus a thousand times that you would never do again. That is when you need mercy. And Jesus says, in the face of your sin, when you are face planted down on the ground, you should be willing to come boldly before the throne because that is the place that you will find the mercy you need in that moment. Conviction draws us to God. For the believer, the only look we should assume is on the face of Jesus in the midst of our sin is one of love and compassion. It's the same look he had when he saw sick crowds or when he saw blind beggars or exposed adulterers or rejected tax collectors. It is a look that beckons, hey, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden with sin because I got all the grace and all the mercy you need right here. If we mistake, if we assume any other look is on his face, then we have confused conviction. We are living with a case of confused conviction and we have traded conviction in for perhaps one of the oldest tricks in the book, condemnation. While conviction says, come close, condemnation says, you don't belong anywhere near God. You should be ashamed of yourself. Stay at a distance. And friends, that is literally the oldest trick the enemy has in the book. For those unfamiliar, if you go all the way back to Genesis, you see Adam and Eve living in the garden. Everything was perfect. There was unbroken intimacy with God. There was a relationship between God and man. And the Bible tells us that God would come and he would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. He would talk with them there. 
Just imagine the perfection of that. Literally, the, the, the person of God walking along in the garden with Adam and Eve. But there was only one rule for this paradise. And the rule was, do not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as long as you don't touch that tree, everything's going to be just fine. But Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he tempts Adam and Eve, and ultimately they eat of this forbidden fruit. And at that moment, condemnation enters the world. At that moment, shame enters the world. The Bible says that when they ate the fruit, that their eyes were opened, they became aware of their sin, and they felt shame. You wanna know the definition of condemnation? Your eyes are opened, you're aware of your sin, and you feel shame. That is perhaps the clearest definition I can give. Condemnation is an acute awareness of sin and a lingering sense of shame that you cannot shake. You could be surrounded by the goodness of God, just like Adam and Eve were, but all you see is your sin. All you see is your failure. It's like the enemy has blinded you to anything else but that. That is how condemnation works. And it is this ploy. He's been using it since the beginning of time. Because when all you see is your sin, it will affect your response. When all you see is your sin, you know what you will do? You'll run from God. You will cut and run in the other direction so that you can be as far away from him as possible because being anywhere near him brings on this sense of shame. That's condemnation. But that also tells me something. That tells me something that I think we need to be aware of if we're truly going to unconfuse conviction this morning. That tells me that what you're feeling, or excuse me, where you're running reveals what you're feeling. If you find yourself running away from God, then you are not experiencing conviction. You are experiencing condemnation. But if you find yourself running to God in the midst of failure, then you are experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So here comes that part of the sermon where I pose the uncomfortable question that I want you to wrestle with because I'm not interested in you just showing up to church and checking a box and saying, I listened to a guy talk. I want change to take place in your life. So, so let me pose the uncomfortable question. As you consider the failures of your life, as you consider your sin, let me ask you, where are you running? Are you running to God or do you run the opposite direction? Is failure an invitation for you to come boldly or to flee timidly? Because where you're running, it's revealing what you're feeling. And to be clear, when you run from God, it can come in a variety of forms. Everybody runs in their own unique way. For some, running from God could look like avoiding a prayer life. I don't want to talk to God. I don't want to pray because if I pray, he's going to want to talk to me about the thing that I don't want to talk about. And so I'm just not going to pray because I don't want to have that conversation. That's running. Running could look like maintaining a shallow relationship with other believers or a shallow relationship with God for fear that if I go any deeper than beyond the surface, I'm going to be exposed. That's running. Running could look like hands in pockets during worship, staring at the ceiling, being incapable of lifting your hands or lifting your voice because you feel like a hypocrite. The shame is crippling and you don't know how to worship because you're afraid 
he's going to see me. Or let's be real. Running from God can look like over-exaggerating your fears about a pandemic so that you can stay at home instead of gathering with the believers in a room like this. Even though you don't apply that logic to anything else in your life, I should probably look at the camera as I'm talking about this. And you stay at home because you feel safe in isolation, but you know that if you get into the place where God is and the believers are gathered, he might want to talk about, running looks different for all of us. But let's just go ahead and call it for what it is. It's confusion. It's condemnation. It is not from God. The Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, you have no reason to concern yourself with condemnation. All of your sin has been forgiven. Yes, Jesus took all of it upon himself at the cross and a simple acknowledgement of the, I need a savior in one moment wipes all of that away. He will make you white as snow. No, you should be walking in freedom as a believer. Perhaps better said, you should be running in freedom. So I pose it again. Where are you running? Because where you're running reveals what you are feeling. But here's the good news for those that find themselves perhaps running in the wrong direction. If you have run from the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you find yourself at a self-imposed distance from God, Here's the good news. He loves you too much to leave you there. And if you have been unresponsive to conviction, he will start there. <laughs> but if you have been unresponsive to conviction, then be warned, the Holy Spirit will continue to chase you down until you're back where you belong. He's just too good. Because, last thought, and the band can come as we conclude with this, a few weeks ago, the spirit was sergeant. Last week, the spirit was the sieve. But here's what you need to know about the spirit today. The spirit is a schemer. Now, I know traditionally that's not like a good word. But I'm going to redeem it today because I love alliteration and I couldn't find another S word that worked into the equation. All right. So the spirit is a schemer. When you find yourself at a distance from God, he will start scheming ways to get you back to where you belong because he's not willing to let you stay out there. Let me prove it to you in scripture. This is perhaps one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I know I've probably said that a thousand times from this stage, but I love this verse. It is such a beautiful picture of the working of the Holy Spirit. First Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. says, God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. Come on, isn't that a beautiful scripture? God does not just sweep life away. He doesn't care too little about you to leave you buried under the stove, like a piece of food that you dropped while you were cooking. <laughs> ah, we'll just sweep that one away and we'll deal with it another. No, he doesn't do that. He's not content to say, well, I gave him conviction. I sent Jesus to die. What else am I supposed to do? I'm here when you're ready. That's not how God works. When we are at a distance, he starts scheming to find ways to bring us back to him. When Adam and Eve ran from God in the garden, when they hid behind the trees, God chased them down. He forgave them of their sin 
and he covered them. When Peter ran from God and found himself back on the boat where he first started, Jesus went to the shores of Galilee and he called Peter and he restored him, not just to the fellowship, but 50 days later, that guy preached the gospel and he started this whole thing that we find ourselves in called the New Testament church. When Elijah ran to a hill in fear, God was not content to leave him at Sinai, he chased him down. When Moses ran to Midian, God chased him down. When Gideon buried himself in a hole, God chased him down. When Jonah ran and he ended up eaten by a whale, God chased him down and brought him back to Nineveh. When Saul tried to bury himself in the luggage, God chased him down and said, I, I know that this thing may not end up, but I'm still gonna call you and place you in a position of authority. When you are at a distance from God, he does not sweep you away and say, you can stay off at a distance. He will chase you down until you are back where you belong. If you are far today, rest assured, the Holy Spirit is chasing you. His conviction will not stop until you are back where you belong with Him. And I, I might be bold enough to assume that the reason He drug you out of bed on a wet Sunday is because perhaps He wasn't let you, willing to let you stay swept away. Maybe there's some folks here this morning that would say, I have been living with guilt and with shame and I've been at a distance. But the Holy Spirit is saying, that is not me. I'm revealing that for what it is that is a ploy of the enemy. I'm drawing you close again today. I'm drawing you close again today. So I wanna invite you to respond to that. I'm gonna pray. In fact, let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just take a moment here. Holy Spirit, would you speak to every heart? Would you draw men and women to yourself today? We thank you for conviction. In fact, I even hear the Holy Spirit say right now, that conviction is proof that I am still working in you. It's proof that I still live on the inside of you. If I didn't care, I wouldn't convict. But I love you too much, so I'm drawing you back. In fact, let's do this. Before I, I pray for those who might be in need of making a decision to follow Jesus this morning, I, I wanna pray for maybe a greater group of folks here this morning that might find themselves living with a lingering sense of shame. And nobody's looking around this between you and Jesus, but if, if that's you today, if you would say, I've been living with a whole lot of shame, been feeling guilty about stuff I know I shouldn't be feeling guilty about, would you just quickly lift your hands towards heaven for a moment? Would you receive from the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Jesus, would you wash over every one of these? thank you that it says in Isaiah you said hey come and reason with me though your sins are like scarlet I will make them white as snow I pray right now in the name of Jesus that the lies of the enemy the condemnation of the enemy would break in Jesus name right now that every lie would be met with the truth that every ounce of shame would be replaced with joy and confidence in the Holy Spirit we thank you for your forgiveness today. We receive all that you offer. We receive your joy. We receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. You can put your hands down today if you're here and you would say, hey, Tim, I am, uh, 
I, I am one of those that would find myself at a distance from God. I don't know if the Holy Spirit is in me. Uh, I, I may not have been following him for a while or maybe I've never made a decision to, to, to accept Christ and to receive the Spirit of God. And I know that I need to get things right with God before I leave this place. Even that today is what Jesus said in John chapter 16, that he would convict the world of their sin, of the righteousness that's available in Jesus, so that when we face the coming judgment, Jesus will look at us and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy that's been set before you. If that's you this morning and you need to get things right with God, I'm gonna pray a simple prayer with you, a commitment prayer to him. But would you quickly lift up your hand and look at me so that I know who I'm praying with this morning? Thank you, got you right there, right there, bro, awesome. Yeah, right over here. Yeah, up in the rafters there, awesome. Okay, you can just pray this with me in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I decide today to follow you. Holy Spirit, come and make your home in my heart. Lead me from this day forward. Help me to be a disciple of Jesus until that moment where I breathe my last on this planet and are enter into eternity with you. Today I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, for everyone who lifted their hand, can we just thank God today? It's amazing. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.